Well, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the name of our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, Before we continue our worship in the Word, just wanted to make one more plug for our last Next Step class. Um, The Next Step class that we have is to join the team. Uh, Whether you've been a member for many years or uh, you are still exploring membership, um, which is a prerequisite to service in the church, we wanted to Uh, let you know that that class is for every one of us. If right now you're not serving in a particular ministry or you would like to explore serving in other ministries of the church, that will be a great opportunity to learn more about the different ministries of the church, how you can plug in and how you can start serving with your gifts, whatever those may be. And so we want to invite you to that last class. But in light of that announcement, let me bow in prayer as we continue our worship in the word. Father, this morning we are grateful Uh, to come together as a family of God. We thank you, Lord, for the privilege and opportunity to worship you in song and in giving, to declare the praises of our God and our King. Father, as we transition to your word, we pray, Lord, that you'd prepare our hearts and minds to hear exactly what you have for us, get us out of the way. What we know not teach us, what we have not give us, and who we are not in Christ, we ask that you'd make us, and we ask it all in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Howard Hendricks once said, the Bible wasn't written to satisfy your curiosity. The Bible was written to transform your life. This morning, I'd like to suggest what's true of the Bible as a whole is also true of biblical prophecy. Biblical prophecy concerning the day of the Lord, the return of Christ, and the end of the world The purpose of biblical prophecy is not just to satisfy our curiosities about what the future holds as believers, but in order to transform our lives. This morning, I'd like to invite you to the letter of 2 Peter, chapter 3. We'll be in verses 14 to 18 together. We're going to take some time to talk about how we are instructed to live in light of the return of Jesus Christ, how we are instructed to live in light of his coming. As you make your way there in your Bibles, as we've, we are concluding our study of 2 Peter today, as we wrap up chapter 3, we're reminded that the entirety of chapter 3 has been dealing with the subject of the day of the Lord. In the first seven verses, we talked about the day of the Lord and why we should expect it. In verses 8 to 13, we talked about the day of the Lord and the details that surround it. Today, we're going to focus on the day of the Lord and how we are instructed to live transformed lives in light of it. The day of the Lord, if you recall, is a reference to the second coming of Jesus Christ. We're reminded that Jesus Christ came the first time, according to scriptures, as a suffering servant, as the Savior of the world. But the Bible teaches that he's coming a second time as a conquering king who will judge the world and who will right every wrong. This morning, in response to that, we are invited to consider how then shall we live in light of his coming? Would you stand in honor of the reading of the word as we answer that question together? Second Peter 3, beginning in verse 14, reads this way. Therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, without spot and blemish and blameless, and consider that the long suffering of our Lord is salvation, as also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given to him, has written to you, 
as also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to understand, which untaught and unstable people twist to their own destruction, as they do also the rest of the scriptures. You therefore, beloved, since you know this beforehand, beware lest you also fall from your own steadfastness, being led away with the error of the wicked, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory, both now and forever. Amen. The word of the Lord, you all may be seated in the presence of God this morning. As we have opportunity to finish up our study of Second Peter together and wrap up chapter 3, we're considering how we are invited to live in light of the return of Christ, how we are to live transformed lives in light of the day of the Lord in which he's coming back in judgment to right every wrong. Well, as we begin in verse 14, we're going to see four things together. The first thing in verse 14 is that we are instructed to be diligent, to be diligent to be found in him in peace and also be diligent to be found in him spotless and blameless. Now, before we really unpack uh, this first instruction to be diligent, I want to first talk about the motivation before we talk about the instruction. And, and Peter outlines it beginning in verse 14 this way, Therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, be diligent. And so the motivation that we are given in light of the previous verses that therefore points us to, we are to look forward to the things that are going to come, those things that were discussed previously in the first 13 verses. We are look, to look forward to three things as a motivation to live holy lives now, godly lives now, set apart to the Lord Jesus Christ. First, we are to look forward to the day of the Lord when in judgment God will destroy the heavens and the earth. Back in verse 10, if you recall, we were told that the day of the Lord will come suddenly, will come unexpectedly, and will come disastrously. It will come suddenly and unexpectedly. It will come as a thief in the night. If you recall, we were told that uh, you're never told when a thief is going to come. They don't call you up and say, tomorrow night I'm going to arrive between the hours of 2 a.m. and 4 a.m. No, they come suddenly and unexpectedly. When it comes to the day of the Lord, we shouldn't prepare when the day comes. It will be too late. The time of preparation is now. Not only is the day of the Lord described as unexpected and that which will happen suddenly, but it will be disastrous. We were told in verse 10 that the heavens will pass away with a great noise. The elements will melt with a fervent heat. And the earth and the works therein will be burned up. What we're told is that on the day of the Lord, the heavens and the earth will pass away. And we are told to look forward to that day as a motivation to live holy lives now, how does that motivate us to live holy lives now, the fact that God is going to destroy the heavens and the earth? Well, one reason is because on that day, we pray that we will be found not among the unrighteous, but among the redeemed. That we will receive the salvation of our God on that day, having trusted in Christ as our Savior and Lord. But there are some of us this morning, myself included, who, who may think about this and think about the beauty that you see in the world today. The heavens and the earth, because God, when he created the heavens and earth and everything in them, he created it according to his perfect design, and, and there's still beauty in the world. I don't know about you, but I enjoy when I 
wake up early enough to see the sun rise, and if I have time to see the sun set, I enjoy the beauty of God's creation, the sun, the moon, and the stars of the heavens. I enjoy the beauty of Oregon and exploring and hiking, and some of you are fishermen. And so there's so much beauty in this world, and you say, how can I look forward to the coming destruction? Because we're reminded that the world is not the way that God originally created it. That the world, because of the corruption of sin, is not the way that it should be. And when the very first humans, Adam and Eve, sinned, they, not, they did not just infect the human race with sin that resides in each of our hearts. They infected the very creation itself. And what we're reminded of is that we live in a broken world. And living in a broken world, we should look forward to the day when this heavens and earth are going to be destroyed and the new heavens and earth where righteousness dwells will be forevermore. I don't know about you, but I'm looking forward to the day when God will destroy the heavens and the earth and, and this current heavens and earth, the world as we know it, will come to an end because the brokenness in this world is going to be destroyed. Watch the news. Take a look at around you, the world around you. Just take a look at your social media feeds. The world is so much broken. There is death, there is disease, there is sickness, and there's a thing called sin and its consequences that is ever before us. Certainly, we look to the day of the Lord when the current heavens and earth will pass away. I'm looking forward to the day when death will be no more. This past week, my nephew, the first nephew who was born among us four, would have been 10 years old this past week, but he was born, a stillborn, having his umbilical cord wrapped around his neck. And I'll tell you, on the day he was born, we wept. We got to watch his mother weep, and it was painful, but we did not weep without hope. We wept, but with the hope that one day this child would be once again reunited with those who know the Lord. And this morning, what we're reminded is we look forward to the day when death will be no more. We look forward to the day when disease and sickness will be no more. We look forward to the day when sin and its consequences, as it has infected our hearts and has infected the world, will be no more. And that is a great motivation for you and I as we look forward to that day to live holy and godly lives. This morning, we're first to look forward to the, the day of the Lord when the heavens and earth, the world will come to an end as we know it. But secondly, we are to look forward to the day when in Christ, he's going to have a new heavens and new earth where righteousness dwells, according to verse 13. Are you looking forward to that day when the sin nature in each of our hearts will be forever eradicated? The moment we trusted in Christ as our Savior and Lord is the moment sin no longer had power over our hearts, but that old sin nature is still there. We look forward to the day when the new heavens and new earth appear and righteousness dwells. There will be no more wickedness, no more sins, and no more consequences as we look forward to that day. That is a great motivation to live transformed lives now in light of it. And thirdly, as I already mentioned, what we look forward to as a motivation to live holy lives now, godly lives now, is the fact that on the day of the Lord, the reason we can look forward to it instead of dreading it is because we know that we will be found among the redeemed and not among the unrighteous. 
Notice how Peter speaks to them. He says, therefore, beloved. He reminds these believers that they are among the beloved of God, those who have received forgiveness of sins by turning from them and turning to Christ and his sacrificial death on the cross who has forgiven them and grants them everlasting life. This morning, you are reminded our great motivation for the day of the Lord. The reason we don't dread it but eagerly anticipate it is because we will be among the redeemed of the Lord. We will be among the beloved. And so this morning, I first have to ask you the question before we move forward into the instruction, do you have and share that motivation? Because there's no need to move forward in this text today if we don't begin there. Are you even looking forward to the day of the Lord when this old world will pass away, the new world will be formed, and we will stand among the redeemed and not among the unrighteous? Are you looking forward to that day? As Jesus said in John chapter 14, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions, are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. Are you looking forward to that day? We sang it this morning. But this morning, I don't want you to just sing about it. I want you to believe it, to look forward to it, and allow that to be the motivation that, that helps us align our hearts, our minds, our lives with the Lord Jesus Christ and surrender everything to him. So that's the motivation. The motivation is looking forward to the things that lie ahead. The instruction then is to be diligent. Be diligent to be found in him in peace. And so first we are to be diligent. The word diligent means to um, make every effort to pursue it. Discipline yourself in every way to be found before him at peace, blameless and and spotless. Uh, The term be found before him is uh, a term that's used um, in a court of law. When you have a defendant standing before a judge, the picture here is of that defendant standing before a judge being found either guilty or being found innocent. This morning, I want to ask you this question. If you go back about a week or maybe even yesterday, if Christ were to come back yesterday or come back last week, how would you be found? Would you be found by him guilty? Having unconfessed sin in your heart, in your life, would you be found before him as he returns, having still walking in habitual sin? How will you be found by him? Will you be found by him with a clear conscience? Will you be found by him because every opportunity you have when you sin and you mess up, you confess your sins because you know he is faithful and just to forgive you your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. How will you be found by him? Will you be found by him just distracted by the busyness of life and the things of this world, investing in things where moth and rust destroy, forgetting that you and I have have been given a task to go and tell Jesus Tell, tell people about Jesus and make him famous to the ends of the earth because God in his patience still gives time for people to be saved. How will we be found or will we say, God, I gotta admit I was a little bit busy last week. I was a busy, little bit focused on the things that I shouldn't have been focused on. How will you be found? This morning we're to live in light of that fact. 
to be diligent that at any moment Christ could come back. His return is imminent, and knowing that should influence and motivate us to pursue godliness, holiness, and to be found in peace before him. Therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found by him first in peace. Be found by him in peace. When we're talking about peace, we're talking not just about the not just about the peace of God, you know, that inner tranquility that you experience, that God gives us, the peace that surpasses all understanding, but we're talking about peace with God. And in order to have the peace of God, you first have to have peace with God. What kind of peace are we talking about here? Well, it's talking about the kind of peace we receive when we Trust in Jesus as our Savior and Lord. Romans 5, 1 through 2 describes it this way. Therefore, having been justified by faith, being declared righteous, being made in a right standing by faith, trusting in Jesus, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. This morning, do you have that peace with God? Some of you may be a little bit confused because you wonder, aren't all humans at peace with God? Aren't we born into this world? He's the creator. In some sense, isn't he our father? But in Ephesians 2, it clarifies that if, when we're born into this world, we're not born as children of righteousness. We're born as children of wrath. Let me read that to you. Ephesians 2 says this, And you he made alive who were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of the world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. But then verse 4 says this, so, so we were born into this world children of wrath because of our sin nature, But God, oh, what a powerful moment in Ephesians 2 when we get to read about God's intervention, not just in the text, but in each of our testimonies, in each of our lives. Yes, we were children of wrath, but God, who is rich in mercy, thank God for his mercy. Because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. This morning we are invited to be reminded that we are to be found by him in peace. Having peace with God and having peace with God will result in having the peace of God. This morning my prayer is that as you came to church or you walk out today and you spend time with the Lord this evening and then tomorrow morning if the Lord tarries and doesn't come back again, my prayer is that you would not have nagging guilt on your conscience. My prayer is that you would have a clear conscience before the Lord, that you would have the peace with God that results in peace of God that gives you peace that, that, that is beyond human comprehension. I want to invite you this morning to, to consider two questions that will allow you to have the peace that is described here. The first question is this, have you trusted in Jesus Christ as your Savior and your Lord? Have you received the forgiveness of sins and do you have the assurance that those sins, past, present, and future, have been forgiven and the assurance of everlasting life? The invitation of the gospel is to trust in Christ and Him crucified. Yesterday we had a Glenwood outreach and um, it was a great time. We had 24 folks come and have meals, but we had different folks sitting down and chatting with them 
having conversations about spiritual things, asking them about prayer. And as I get to interact with different folks, I always like to ask a couple questions. The first one is, how can we pray for you? A lot of times, even people who don't believe in God or, or are not as open to talk about God, they're often open to, to share their prayer requests. The second question I always like to ask is, do you feel close to God or do you feel far from him? And sometimes folks will respond in one way or another and say, you know what, sometimes I feel close to God, other times I don't, and I have an opportunity to share with them what the scriptures have to say about it, that if you don't know Jesus as your Savior and Lord, there's something that separates you from a holy God, and it's this thing called sin. And you will never be close to God, even in your own imagination, you believe you are, but you cannot come close to God if that sin continues to separate you from a holy God. But there's good news. Jesus went to a cross to pay your debt, to forgive your sins, and to bridge the gap so that you, who were once a child of wrath, could be a child of righteousness, receiving the righteousness of Christ and being declared to be in a right standing before a holy God. This morning, I want to ask you, if you were to think about it just for a moment, are you at peace with God? Have you truly trusted in Christ as your Savior and Lord? Do you feel far away from him or close to him? The truth of the matter is the only way you can experience closeness with God and have a real relationship with him is if you have your sins dealt with at the cross. There's no no amount of good deeds that you could do. No amount of religious activity or rituals that you could be a part of. You must trust in Christ and him crucified for the forgiveness of sins. So first, to have peace, have you trusted in Christ as your Savior and Lord? The second question I want to ask you, is there any unconfessed sin in your heart and in your life right now? As a believer, as a follower of Jesus Christ, in John 1.9, it says, 1 John 1.9, we're reminded that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This morning, I don't want you to walk out of this place with unconfessed sin in your heart and in your life. I want you to have peace with God that will result in the peace of God, that you wouldn't have a nagging guilt on your heart, but you would have a clear conscience so that you can have peace with God and the peace of God Is there any unconfessed sin in your heart and in your life? So first, we're invited to to be diligent to be found by him in peace. And then secondly, be diligent to be found by him without spot and blameless. When we're talking about a spot, we're talking about a stain. Have you ever had your favorite shirt or your favorite clothes and then you accidentally spilled coffee on it or you you stained it. What we're told here is when we're found before the Lord, we are to be found by him spotless and we are to be found by him without moral stains, without our hearts corrupted by sin that is unconfessed or unrepented of or 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 habitual sins that have, not, that have not been dealt with at the cross. We should be diligent to make every effort at any moment to be found before him if he should come back at any moment spotless and blameless. To be found by him spotless and blameless as we take a look at the context of the greater letter of Second Peter is to avoid the example of the false teachers. They were described as spots and blemishes on the local church. Let me read to you 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 12 to 13. It says, But these, like natural brute beasts, made to be caught and destroyed. If you remember 
Um, when we were in chapter 2, the false teachers weren't described in the most flattering terms. They were described as beasts who deserve to be caught and destroyed. Why? Because they follow their instincts. They are counterfeit Christians, and they expose who they truly are by their behavior, by their sensuality, by their licentious living. And so they follow their, their, their desires, they, they follow their instincts, and they are not filled with the Spirit in the sense that they are under the control of the Spirit. It says, they speak of evil of things they do not understand and will utterly perish in their own corruption and will receive the wages of unrighteousness as those who count it pleasure to carouse in the daytime. They are spots and blemishes. They are moral stains carousing in their own deceptions while they feast with you. They are spots and blemishes on the local church. Why? Because claiming to be Christian... They don't live as Christians. And what we're told here is avoid their example. Avoid their example from chapter 2. How? How do you live a spotless and blameless life by not following your instincts or your fleshly desires, but putting those to death? By means of trusting in the power of the Holy Spirit who resides in you, who doesn't just give you saving grace, but enabling grace, and we were reminded at the beginning of 2 Peter that he's given us everything we need for life and godliness. The question is, do you believe that? Or do you believe that there are some sins that are too great for you to overcome and even too great for God to overcome? I don't know about you, but the, the God I read about in the Bible, as we even sang about it this morning, his name is, is associated with being undefeated. Our God is undefeated. In any battle he fights, he wins. And in the end, he is the last one standing. What a mighty God we worship and serve. And we sang it this morning. We are to stand back and behold the greatness of our God. How much more the one to deal with the spots and blemishes in your life? How much more to allow him to put those things to death? Stop trying in your own power and strength and surrendering to the power that resides in you through the Holy Spirit who, has, who provides everything you need for life and for godliness. And so first, avoid the example of those false teachers who are spots and blemishes on the church. And um, secondly, to be found spotless and blameless does not mean being found sinless in this life, but pursuing holiness. We're reminded that we're in the process of, of being sanctified. None of us are perfect. All of us are growing in the grace and knowledge of God. We have not yet been perfected. But to be found spotless and blameless at the coming of Christ does not mean we will be found sinless, but we will be found in a state of pursuing holiness. My prayer is that today you look a little bit more like Jesus than yesterday. My prayer is that the, the husband my wife married is not the husband I am today because I look a little bit more like Jesus today than I did yesterday. The goal of the Christian life is to grow and to mature in our faith and look a little bit more like him every day. And so every day I want to be found by him looking more like him today than I did yesterday. And so those questions come up in regards to those who know you best. Would they say that you are growing in the fruit of the Spirit? But those who know you best say, yeah, he's, he's a man or she's a woman who, who loves like God loves now more than ever in their life. 
There's joy, there's peace, there's patience, there's kindness, there's faithfulness and gentleness, there's self-control that, that, that really marks their lives. Is there evidence of God's working in your heart and your life to change you moment by moment and day by day? The first instruction motivated by the second coming of Christ in the day of the Lord is we eagerly anticipated when we will be found among the redeemed but not among the unrighteous is that we would be diligent to be found before him in peace, that we would be diligent to be found before him spotless and blameless. This morning I want us to consider just a couple things in light of this. The first is I want to invite you to ask yourself if you're living with a sense of urgency of Christ's coming. Are you really living with the sense of urgency that Christ could come back at any moment and his coming is imminent and you need to be diligent about being found before him in a right standing? with a clear conscience, not nagging guilt on your heart or your life, but in, to be in a right standing before God. Last month, my mother came to visit, and prior to her visit, we, we felt the urgency of her coming. We needed to prepare the house. We needed to prepare things before she came. We needed to prepare her room, change out the sheets, you know. We needed to make sure everything was ready. We needed to prepare the car we were going to pick her up in, uh, in the van, and, and uh, I didn't realize this until the last minute we were getting in the van and, and uh, we've got car seats here and there and one of the seats is down and I felt the urgency. Hey, we got to get to the airport, move some car seats around and pull out one of the seats. I felt the urgency because I wasn't fully prepared. And then we got in the van, we went and picked her up and then my wife had been, been reminding me all week beforehand by asking me, are you going to leave the backyard in the current state that it's in? He was asking that to recommend that I clean it up and organize it. And can I tell you, when my mother came, the backyard was still not cleaned up. This morning, I want to remind you, when Jesus comes back, it'll be too late to prepare. We are to be ready. We are to be prepared. We are to live with a sense of urgency that Christ could come back at any moment. And so the time when we should be found before him blameless and spotless and at peace in him should be now, not tomorrow. May we be about going about the Lord's business accordingly. So ask yourself if you're living with a sense of urgency of Christ's coming. Secondly, ask yourself if you're truly motivated by his return. I, I, we talked about it already. We sang about it this morning. Um, these are things we can look forward to and be motivated to, to, to say, Lord, come quickly. Come quickly. Christ will right every wrong. You see all the evil, the wickedness in the world, the disease, the death, the sin and its consequences. One day they will be no more. Brokenness in our world, in our hearts will be no more. This is the hope of heaven. You see the brokenness in the world and the brokenness in our lives. Thirdly, pain and suffering will be no more. Another, our sin nature will be eradicated. No longer fight that sin nature. The new heavens and earth will be a place where righteousness dwells and we will be forever in his presence. Going back to John 14 that we already quoted, Jesus says, I'm going to prepare a place for you uniquely created for him to be with his redeemed. Are you looking forward to that day to seeing Jesus face to face? and worshiping him in person and giving him glory and honor and praise forever and ever. 
Thirdly, ask yourself what you need to surrender in order to pursue holy living. I want to ask you this, and then I just give you a few, few applications. What do you need to give up or surrender to the Lord in order to be found before him holy? What do you need to give up to, to be in a place where you would be found right now in a right standing before him? If I could give a few recommendations. First, surrender any unconfessed sin, sin in our hearts and our lives. Psalm 139, 23 to 24 says, search me, O God, and know my heart. I pray that that would be our, our prayer. Try me and know my anxieties and see if there's any wicked way in me and lead me in the way of the everlasting. I want you to surrender any unconfessed sin that you need to give before the Lord. Secondly, surrender any sinful habits that you've been walking in, habitual sins that you go back to again and again. Deal with them at the cross. He doesn't just provide forgiveness. He'll give you the power to overcome them moment by moment and day by day. He always gives you a way out. You can trust him. He is faithful. And thirdly, surrender any sinful relationships in your life. There are certain relationships sometimes you just need to cut out. Is there anything holding you back from holy living and being found before him in that manner. So first, the first, first instruction is to be diligent. Secondly, in verse 15 to 16, we are commanded to be confident, to consider the fact that the patience of the Lord, the long-suffering of the Lord reminds us of Christ's heart for the lost. We go back to verse 15 and it says, and consider that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation. Peter is, if you were with us last time, simply repeating what he's already declared in verse 9. That the reason Jesus hasn't come back is not because he's lagging, but because he's long-suffering. And Jesus will, is willing that no one should perish, but that all should come to repentance. This is the heart of God for the lost. And once again, we see it fully on display as he repeats himself in verse 17 and says, consider, be confident of this, that the long-suffering and the patience of our Lord is salvation. And the reason Jesus has not yet come back is to give others an opportunity to receive faith in him as their Savior and as their Lord. This morning, if you're here today and you get to hear the fact that Jesus promises to come back and there is going to be the day of the Lord which will be a day of judgment and you're not in a right standing before him. Know that the reason he hasn't come back is not because he's lagging but because he's long-suffering and you still have an opportunity to repent. God doesn't desire that you should perish but that you should repent. Turn from your sin and turn to him and trust in him as your Savior and Lord. There's still time. The fact that Jesus is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. It places a greater urgency on us as believers to be about what we've been called to do, to go and share our faith with as many people as possible. Our job is not to control how they respond. Our job is simply to present the message and leave it to the Lord to do the rest. Leave it in his hands, but may we say, Lord, we did our part. And so we're reminded, consider that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation. You know, whenever, the, whenever God repeats himself in his word, it's a reminder that there is an emphasis on its importance. 
And the fact that he repeats himself here is a reminder for us to pay attention because we can easily forget it and we can easily keep it from being applied in our lives as we are reminded to turn to the Lord if we haven't and as we are reminded to share this with as many people as possible. And so Peter not only repeats himself but shares that what he's talking about is consistent with Paul's writings as well. He says this in verse 15, As also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given to him, has written to you. So what we're reminded is that Paul is someone who has written about the same matters. If you take a look at Romans chapter 2 verse 4, you see this, or, or, or do you despise the riches of his goodness? Forbearance and long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance. Reminded of Paul spoke of the same thing, that the heart of God for the lost is one of patience and long-suffering and love. In 2 Peter 1, 20 to 21, we were reminded that as Peter talks about Paul, he talks about his writing as if it's scripture because it is. And we're reminded how he wrote these things, both Peter and Paul, knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any interpretation, for prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. Verse 16 goes on to say, as Peter goes on and says this, as also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to understand. This should give us some sense of comfort if you've read any of Paul's letters and there have been times where you've read it and you say, what does this mean? What does the rest of Scripture have to say about this? Let me observe it again. Let me check my notes. Let me reread it again. And so there are some Scriptures that are sometimes difficult to understand. And if Peter is saying there are some things Paul wrote that are difficult to understand, a fellow apostle this should bring us some comfort as we get to study God's word and say sometimes Bible study takes time, take, takes effort, asks, it takes me time to critically think about these matters. But then it says this about those who are false teachers, those who are untaught, those who walk in willing ignorance and disobedience, those who are untaught and unstable, what they do with the difficult parts of Scripture that can be hard to understand is they twist them. It says, which untaught and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do also the rest of Scripture. Just because there are some Scriptures that are hard to understand does not mean we should not study them and pay close attention to them because there are those who are untaught and unstable who will twist them. When you dig into those Scriptures that may be hard for you to understand, don't read over them and keep going Press into them. Study them harder. Go about an inductive Bible study method. Observe it. What does the text say? Take a look at it. What does it mean? What does it look, how does, what does it mean in light of the rest of Scripture? Let me take this Scripture and compare it to this Scripture. What does it mean in light of the whole canon of Scripture? And then as you take those next steps, then you can apply it. There's always one right interpretation to any text in Scripture. There may be multiple applications to your life and mine, but there is one interpretation we should wrestle 
with those hard texts to understand because as we do, we need to guard against those who are untaught and those who are unstable. And so we need to be on guard in that respect. So be confident. Be confident that God's patience reveals his heart for the lost. That's our second application. How do we do that in light of these texts? Number one, seize the opportunity to share your faith when God gives it to you. Um, Every morning, don't just prepare yourself in prayer and in the word, but say, the Lord, I'm available for you to use me. Whether it's asking someone if I can pray for them and not be so focused on myself or my busy life, I'm too busy to even talk to people about spiritual matters. Whether it's talking to them about prayer, asking them, are you feel close to God or far from him? Or actually taking time to discuss with them the gospel of Jesus Christ. Get to know your neighbors, your family members, your friends. Uh, Take time to seize the opportunity to share your faith. One of the ways that you can do that is prepare to share your testimony with the gospel in two to three minutes. You know, some of you might share your testimony. It could go on for hours, right? There's a lot that you can talk about and how God has worked in your life and how God is working in your life. Prepare a two to three minute testimony and actually write it out. Take time to rehearse it and so that when you have an opportunity to share it, you're ready, you're prepared, you're available to be used by God. Write out your two to three minute testimony it's not just about you, it's about what the Lord has done in your life. If you're like, you know, I struggle, I don't know how to, how to write a testimony, and some of you may wonder, well, can I have a meeting with you? You don't even have to have a meeting with me or anyone else. Take a look at Ephesians 2 that we already read in verses 1 through 5, and allow that to be the outline of your testimony. If you recall, let me just read it again, and you think about this through your testimony. And you he made alive who are dead in trespasses and sins. You can say in your testimony, prior to Christ coming in my life, I was dead in my trespasses and sins. You can go into a little more detail if you want. And it says, in which I walked according to the course of the world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. I didn't serve the Lord. I served my own desires, and I served the prince of the power of the air, even though I didn't realize it at the time. And then you talk about verse 4, that but God moment, and how Christ saved you and transformed your life. Write your testimony out. Secondly, write down names of five to ten unbelievers that God has placed in your circle of influence that he wants you to invest in today. Who are those five people? There are some people that you have more influence in their lives than anyone who's sitting around you, myself included, because God has placed them in your circle. You have a responsibility to them. Thirdly, um, this is a great opportunity. Join our outreach team as we reach Springfield for Christ. Uh, This past week, we uh, said that we had the Glenwood outreach yesterday. We had 24 folks come out, and we got to serve them breakfast. Uh, Frank Ewell, he's one of our deacons. He helps lead those. And what a wonderful opportunity if, if you just want to sit down and talk with folks about spiritual things. Those fo- you just sit down at a table and talk to folks about how you can pray for them. Talk to them about Jesus. It's a great opportunity to get involved and to share your faith. Um, this week, uh, Adam Bascom, he's helping lead another one of our deacons, an outreach out at the park, at the skate park. And we're not just going to have a skate competition, but we're going to have conversations about Jesus with folks. We're going to have a prayer table. Come to the prayer table. Come hang out. Come talk to people. Uh, Come pray. If you can't make it, pray for what the Lord is doing in and through that. We love to partner with the neighborhoods around 
the church here and actually reach our Jerusalem for Christ. We've got uh, apartments right here uh, behind us, if I'm, well, maybe here or there. We've got the Hallmark apartments. I mean, those are apartments that we should be reaching, that we should be investing in. And so if, if you would say, uh, me and my spouse, or just me, and would like to personally invest in that apartment complex or another one, let us know. We want to partner with you. We want to come alongside of you and say, hey, how can we help you reach the most people for Christ as we do so as a church family? We'd love to get involved in the schools. If there was one school Twin Rivers could invest in and say, this is the one school that we're going to invest in, like um, Thanksgiving, we have those Thanksgiving boxes, if you recall, around November. It's one thing to give a Thanksgiving box and then say, may the Lord bless you and keep you, make his face shine upon you. Let me pray for you and I'll see you next year. It's another thing to say, hey, how can we follow up? How can we continue to invest? How can we invite you to church? And so if you would say, hey, God has placed on my heart a passion for the schools, and we just want to find ways for for us to get involved there. We just need the people. The harvest is plentiful. The people are few. And if you would say, that's my passion, one of the schools, hey, let's partner together and see who we can share Christ with. So seize the opportunity to share your faith. Secondly, beware of false teachers who twist the truth. The text uh, encourages us to beware of false teachers who twist the truth And they do so in order to justify their sinful lifestyles. Beware if you ever find what God says about sin in the scriptures and you try to find a way out and you twist it. That's a dangerous place to be and those are dangerous people to listen to. When I was in college, I had a roommate who was um, a freshman roommate and he was greatly involved in the LGBTQ community and he had many friends always coming over who were um, um, associated with the, the, the same group. And so we would have conversations every now and again. And, and some of those folks who came to our house claimed to be Christians. They told me they were believers. And I asked them, why do you condone what God condemns on the subject of homosexuality or stepping outside of God's original design for marriage between one man and one woman in a lifelong relationship? And they told me, have you heard of the Queen James Bible? I said, I've never heard of that. I've heard of the King James Bible, certainly. And basically what the Queen James Bible is, I don't recommend you buy it or read it, but basically what it does is it twists the truth of God's word over the topic of homosexuality and over the topics that regard to any, any way of stepping outside of God's original design for marriage between a man and a woman in a lifelong relationship. Can I encourage you, beware of false teachers or anyone who twists the truth of God's word to justify their sinful lifestyles. May we never, whether it be that topic or any other, condone what God condemns. Also, not only are we to be, to be watchful in that manner um, and to be motivated in that manner, but we are to beware of false teachers who twist scripture leading to their destruction. I want you to notice carefully in that text, it doesn't tell us that these are just differences of opinion. Like these false teachers are just talking about one thing or another, but if you take a look at verse 16, they twist the twist to their own destruction. This false teaching when it deals with the core doctrines of the Christian faith, is so dangerous that it could lead you away from heaven and to hell. And that's how seriously you should take false teaching. So beware of false teachers who twist the truth. And then lastly, think critically about God's word. 
When you come to God's word, begin in prayer. Take time to follow the inductive study Bible method, observation. What does it say? Interpretation. What does it mean? Application. How does it apply to my life? But I want to add one more that will help you think critically. Who can I share this with? Who can I teach it to? Um, If you've ever had an opportunity to teach the Bible to someone, whether it be your children, whether it be a small group, whoever that may be, if you have an opportunity one-on-one to teach the Bible, I will tell you those are the most memorable memorable scriptures you will not forget. (laughs) And the reason is because you had to dig into the text. You had to wrestle with the text. You had to study the text, and you had to teach it. And that's how you can get the most out of the Bible. When you're teaching it, I mean, that makes a big difference. Not only that, I've also learned the way that you can get the most out of a text is not just teaching it, but teaching it to children. Because all of God's word should be able to be able to be taught in terms of principle and applied even to children on some level. And, and when you are able to teach to children, man, it makes clear those things that may be misty in our minds. And so first, be diligent. Secondly, be confident. Thirdly, in light of the coming of Christ, be watchful, be on guard. Verse 17 says, you therefore, beloved. Uh, Peter is writing, as opposed to those who are those false teachers who are untaught and who are unstable, those who walk in willing ignorance and willing disobedience you therefore beloved since you know this beforehand your motivation to be on guard and to beware is 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 the fact that we have been warned about the danger of those who will twist the truth of God's word and what Peter is saying you're not like them you're among the beloved and as the beloved since you know this beforehand here's how you should walk here's how you should live in light of the coming of Christ beware lest you also fall from your own steadfastness. Beware lest you slip. Don't think that you are safe. Be on guard. Beware. Continue to stay grounded and rooted in the word of God every day. You miss a day. You miss a week. You miss a month. You miss a year. Boy, is it easy to slip up. And so before, as you know this before, beware lest you also fall from your own steadfastness, being led away with the error of the wicked. This morning, I want to encourage you to be on guard, to beware, to know, not just for your sake, but also those who are under your spiritual care. It might be children or grandchildren. It might be someone that you have an opportunity to speak into their life and disciple. For the sake of your soul and for the sake of theirs, take time to be watchful. Be watchful by getting to know your Bible. Be watchful by belonging to a Bible-believing church. You know, I'm grateful that while I didn't realize it at the time when I was growing up, that I had a great pastor who taught and preached the word of God and the whole counsel of God in season and out of season. I think our church was in a little town of 2,500 people, and our church was maybe the size of 50 to 75 people. But man, did this man of God remain faithful to the teaching and preaching of God's word. And those sermons, as he outlined the truths of God's word and did the work, blessed me to and continue to bless me to this day what a blessing to 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 belong to a bible believing church who teaches and preaches the word of god and and guards against any who would stray from that thirdly be watchful by having some kind of accountability among a small group or a one-on-one relationship when you are in the, the the family of god and you may be 
slipping. There are those who are there to see it. And there are blind spots we have sometimes. And what a wonderful thing to have a brother and sister in Christ put their arm around us and say, hey, just want to, to, to know what's going on right now. How can I pray for you? How can I encourage you? Notice you're going through a hard time. Get into the community, small group or one-on-one accountability. So be diligent, be confident, be watchful. And lastly, as we wrap up our text together, be fruitful. Grow in the grace and knowledge of God. In verse 6, verse 7, Verse um, 18, as we wrap up the text together, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Don't slip, grow. It's easy to slip when your roots are not grounded in the truth of God's word and in your relationship with him. The picture here is almost like a tree. We don't want to slip. We want to be steadfast as believers and as Christians. And we want to grow in God's grace and in his knowledge. Peter, if you were with us at the beginning of the book, kind of ends where he began. If you flip back to chapter 1, verse 2, this is how he began. He said, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord. Let me read to you how that grace and and peace in the knowledge of the Lord grows us and matures us. It says in verse 3, as his divine power has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. We get to go back all the way to the beginning. Through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises. That through these you may be partakers of the divine nature having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Grow in grace. How do we grow in grace? By growing not just in receiving his saving grace but depending on him for enabling grace. His grace is his unmerited favor that provides you everything you need for life and godliness. Grow in him. To grow in him requires humility. To recognize, God, I've come to the end of myself. I cannot grow or mature in my own power, in my own strength, or in trying harder. I must rely on you and your spirit that resides in me. Lean into him and grow in his grace but also grow in the knowledge of the Lord. When we're talking about growing in the knowledge of God, we're not just talking about knowing the Bible from the front to the back, but it's knowing the Bible in such a way that it's changing and transforming your life and mind. As we said earlier, the Bible wasn't written in order to satisfy our curiosities. The Bible was written in order to transform our lives. Knowing the truth therein, how then shall I live? Knowing that God is eternal, that he's the creator of heaven and earth and everything in it, that he's deserving of honor, glory, and praise, how then shall I live? I shall live a life in which my main number one purpose is to glorify him and to enjoy him forever. My ultimate goal and purpose in life is to grow in the knowledge and the grace of God as I mature in him. And listen, as you grow in the knowledge and grace of God, what you find yourself in a place at is worship. Notice how Peter wraps up the letter in a doxology, a declaration of praise to him. Be glory both now and forever. Amen. This morning, do you want to know how you know you're growing in grace and knowledge if your heart is a heart of worship? 
You wake up in the morning and you just want to praise him. Your first thought is glory be to your name. When you come to worship with the family of God, with the local church, you're so excited to behold the greatness of our God and sing praises and glories to his name. And when we sang it this morning again, we, we said, behold our God, do him be glory forever and ever. Amen. It reminds me of the words of my tribute from Andre Crouch who wrote, To God be the glory for the things he has done. With his blood he has saved me. With his power he has raised me. To God be the glory for the things that he has done. Can we pray? Father, we come before you with a desire to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we come before you today not just to know you and to know the saving grace you provide us through our faith in Jesus as our Savior and Lord, but that we would know moment by moment the enabling grace that provides us everything we need for life and godliness moment by moment and day by day. Father, this morning, if there's someone here today who knows that they are separated from you and they know that, that's, that, that the reason they're separated is their sin, but they want to make Jesus the savior of their life who will forgive their sins and grant them everlasting life, I pray that they can express this right now out loud in their hearts. Father, I come before you admitting my need for you. I know that I have a thing called sin in my heart and in my life and it's, and it's really separated me from you, but I know that's why Jesus came. He came from heaven to earth to die on a cross to deal with my sin, to forgive my sins, and to grant me everlasting life. Today I make Jesus my Savior who forgives my sin. I make him my Lord, the King of my life, the one I'm going to follow all the days of my life into eternity. Father, we're grateful for the salvation we have in Jesus. To God be the glory forever and ever. Amen.